Welcome to this episode of the podcast. I just had a great conversation with Blaine Ames. He is the head of people research and analytics at Atlassian. Uh, he's been in the discipline for 15 plus years. Uh, he's been at Barclays, uh, AAA Insurance, and he's been leading people analytics at Atlassian for the past five years. You may know uh, Atlassian as the owners of Trello and Jira, among other solutions. Uh, Blaine talked about so many things that are directly applicable and inspiring. For example, collaborative analysis, engaging your internal customers in doing the analysis, intentional togetherness. Uh, he talked about when we silo data, it's like looking at dynamics through a straw. And that was a very poignant element of what he brought out today. And there's so many other, he talked about language and how they define teams and how it's fluid. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. Uh, follow us at pafau.net, join the community, uh, follow us on Spotify, YouTube, LinkedIn, of course, and uh, get involved. Uh, we're doing events around the country, all leading into our conference uh, next year here in the San Francisco Bay Area. It'll be early February, and more information uh, will come out soon, again, at pafau.net. So enjoy my discussion uh, with Blaine, and talk soon. Blaine, how you doing? I'm good, Al. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm here with Blaine Ames, longtime friend and colleague. If you would introduce yourself and a little bit about what you're doing there at Atlassian. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, Blaine Ames. And uh, so I lead the people analytics team at Atlassian right now. Um, I've been here about six years and joined when Atlassian was just 1,200 employees. Um, we just broke the 9,000 mark. And looking to go all the way to 25 to 30,000 over the next five years. So uh, leading the team across everything from employee research, qualitative research, uh, as well as advanced analytics, reporting, dashboards, et cetera. Well, I mean, Blaine, you've been at this for quite a while now, and you were formerly here in the Bay Area with uh, AAA. You've moved back recently, full disclosure. Uh, Blaine lives right over there. <laughs> we're, bo we're both in uh, Santa Cruz, but we decided to do this uh, uh, virtually. But if you would, I mean, there's so much for us to talk about, people analytics, workforce planning, uh, the nature of work itself, both at individual levels and organizational levels. But before we get into that, would you share a little bit about your journey, you know, where you grew up, your educational background, all that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know that it's been as circuitous as, you know, many people's journey into people analytics, but um, I actually grew up just on the other side of the hill here in San Jose. So kind of grew up in Silicon Valley with HP in my backyard and IBM and, you know, Stanford, all of the startups, et cetera. Um, went to Oak Grove High School, just down the street. Um, and uh, while I was there, actually, sort of, it kind of goes all the way back to, you know, my teenage years, um, really deep interest in psychology, philosophy, uh, science in general. Um, at that time, I wanted to be a marine biologist, which didn't happen. But, um, you know, the sciences, math, all that stuff was always really um, interesting to me. And so bringing together the science along with psychology and philosophy, 
Um, it actually brought me to uh, UC Berkeley for my undergrad, where I studied cognitive neuroscience. And that was an opportunity to really understand the mind, how it works uh, through all sorts of disciplines. So it was this very multidisciplinary approach through psychology, neuroscience, uh, anthropology, linguistics, um, artificial intelligence, all of that. So I had to take classes across a really broad swath of topics. Um, and through that, I really sort of dove deep into the research side of things. And so actually, um, my initial plan out of undergrad was to study neuroscience and go get a PhD in neuroscience. But I wasn't quite ready to commit to a PhD at that point. So took the opportunity to continue the research, uh, moved out to Colorado and uh, worked at the University of Colorado in Boulder to do um, basically fMRI research. So that's functional magnetic resonance imaging, taking brain scans while people are doing activities um, to understand what parts of the brain. And um, all of that though, sort of revolved around this idea of networks and connections and sort of how things are working within a system. Ultimately, that's kind of what I realized is um, systems and connections and networks was something that was always really interesting to me. Um, I also, while there, got an opportunity to be sort of the local lab IT guy. So I was setting up servers, I was building computers, I was um, helping to kind of create a network, an internal network of um, data analysis, data storage, um, and all of that. And so through that process, though, realized neuroscience PhD probably wasn't for me. One of the key things that um, I also recognized was that the professors and the grad students were all fighting for funding, spending their time writing grant proposals, um, working 24 seven, uh, all to publish research that may or may not be consumed by the public or actually end up helping somebody. So, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to make a pivot. I started exploring kind of in a similar space what there was out there. And I kind of landed on applied psychology. At the time, that was sort of um, IO psychology. Uh, applied psychology was really the space. People analytics, this is early 2000s, wasn't really a thing yet. Um, and uh, so I took, the, took an opportunity and moved out to New York um, to NYU to get my master's in IO psychology. Um, and that was really the start, if I'm honest, about to sort of people analytics as, as it's known today. So while I was there, had a lot of internships, a lot of opportunities to um, explore the full IO space. Um, you know, I did things from organizational development to pretending to executive coach managers um, to learning and development, training design, and all of that. Um, one of the things I found myself doing, though, in all of these scenarios was looking for the data, um, trying to understand the impact. How do we know this is working? What are the outcomes, et cetera? Um, and so through that, kind of got involved in surveying, um, engagement surveys, you know, uh, assessments, things like that, um, and really found that that's kind of where where my passion was, was in the data, in the analysis, um, and, and in the assessment sort of measurement. Um, so from there, I actually uh, was fortunate to uh, find an opportunity um, through actually a colleague I was working with at the time. Um, he uh, called me one day and kind of said, 
have you ever thought about doing anything in like metrics and like, I think they want someone who could do like workforce planning or like something like that, you know, and um, this was at Barclays Capital, an investment bank in Manhattan, um, linked to the Barclays Bank out in London. And um, I was like, yeah, I mean, that sounds interesting. At the time, I was doing more of that learning assessment and engagement stuff. Um, and so got an opportunity at Barclays to be one of their first sort of metrics and analytics guys. Um, and this was really early days. We were using business objects for our BI platform. We had seven versions of PeopleSoft throughout the globe. So we were, um, you know, this was really like, let's just take as many data files as we can, mash them up in Excel, then, you know, start building databases and access. So we were using access, Microsoft access for our database setup. Um, and then connecting to that with business objects. We had a big group of business objects developers in London who were helping us. Um, and I, I built what I called my for, sort of first talent intelligence platform, uh, which ultimately was a performance management reporting and like dashboarding platform. But it was used throughout the company to essentially um, help managers get visibility into distributions, um, you know, how that was relating to uh, things like tenure and job level, et cetera, some of the really foundational components of um, what we would consider maybe metrics and reporting today. Um, and uh, then from there, I actually in New York met the, my future wife. And when we met her first thing, she one of the first things she told me was, uh, I've always wanted to live in San Francisco. And she's like, I don't think I'm going to be in New York too long. So just letting you know before we, uh, you know, get serious <laughs> here. And, um, you know, light bulbs went on and I was like, well, I, you know, I'm from the Bay Area. I, my family would love it if I was back there. Um, I had been in New York for six years and six years in New York is a pretty long time. You either sort of commit and decide you're going to stay there for, you know, 10 to 15 more years or you kind of jump ship. You've, you've experienced it. You're tired. You know, you're a little hardened. Um, and uh, so that um, that was sort of the impetus to get back into the Bay Area and then um, was able to get an opportunity at AAA to help start their first sort of workforce analytics team. Um, was there for three years, um, built out a small team there and really started to, to dive into the real nuts and bolts of it. We were um, an early Vizier customer. I remember we were one of their first 12, I think, uh, going wow. to some, you know, some of the early customer meetups. And there's, you know, eight of us in a conference room as their like customer conference talking about the roadmap and, you know, what they're going to be building and how they're going to be building it. Um, so it was pretty exciting. And uh, yeah, and then um, got a call from Atlassian and uh, hadn't actually heard of them, which seems to be common. People don't know about Atlassian, but then when you start learning about them, you realize they're they're having quite an impact um, within the IT space and then um, general sort of collaboration uh, and uh, work management space. So um, all of my tech friends knew about Atlassian through Jira, which is ultimately what people sort of enter with if you're familiar with Atlassian or you've heard one of our ads on NPR, which also seems to be common, at least in the Bay Area. <laughs> People are like, Atlassian, I feel like, yeah, yeah Jira and Trello, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that worked. that's been the journey. It's been, um, you know, it seems pretty uh, linear in some ways, but 
every step's been sort of a new experience and kind of honing, you know, the path, I guess you could say. Well, my reaction to all that, if I might say so, Blaine, is that I want to be you when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. It, it is, um, it's a fantastic journey and thank you for sharing. It's the case where neuroscience and positive psychology and basic self-help. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a book over my shoulder. I'm going to grab it. Uh, you may be familiar with it. Uh, Susan David, uh, Emotional Agility. Uh, she is. Uh, she works at Harvard um, and she's top, I don't know, 100 uh, management influencer. Yeah. And, and uh, I also think of Amishi Ja, who wrote Peak Mind and obviously Dan Pink, Brene Brown, Adam Grant. Um, I think again, and the reason I list those authors is and influencers thought leaders they have created a lot of content with a lot of great ideas that apply yes to our personal lives but they also apply in the workplace in our work lives and there is a significant gap between what is advocated and the insights of those authors and their their work and the lived experience in the workplace and one of my missions is actually to enable this, these great ideas and great insights to be adopted at scale. And so with that in mind, you know, that's why I say you're kind of my hero, <laughs> because you have the understanding of how the brain works. But I heard you say a couple of times that you are a systems thinker and that you understand how the dots not only connect looking backwards, but scenario plan on how they might connect moving forward and being attentive to the data that is either generated or that needs to be generated that can generate greater insight. So appropriate action can then ensue at an individual level, maybe team level and organizational level. So that's probably the biggest leading question I've ever created in my life <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> is, you know, is this, you know, how you look at things and, you know, when you kind of sell yourself or maybe Atlassian found you, but I'm sure you went through a series of interviews, yeah. how did you position yourself? What do you think your source of uniqueness is that you bring to your role as a people analytics leader? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. I think that, you know, with that kind of systems approach, what you're looking at is, um, you know, the data is sort of an outcome of that system. And so understanding that um, the employee experience um, is kind of interconnected from start to finish and um, understanding that all of the components of that experience, whether it's your initial onboarding or, um, you know, manager changes or you go out on leave and come back, those all kind of connect together to create, I think you said, your lived experience and, in the workplace. And so um, what, you know, what I've tried to do and what we're continuing to try to do is understand how those workforce experiences really play with each other. Um, what are the impacts of them along the journey? Um, 
you know, a lot of folks join organizations and the first year in this honeymoon phase, um, everything is awesome and exciting. And then they start getting more and more projects and they might change a manager and they may um, miss out on a promotion. And all of those things are shaping their experience while they're sort of in the organization and there's data being collected during those experiences. Um, and so the opportunity is really to um, connect the data together, right? I mean, I think I'm sort of saying it out loud, but um, essentially being able to tell that story of that experience of those employees and how it then, to your point, impacts teams um, is something that not a lot of people um, are doing. And I think also it really resonates um, as you talk about kind of uh, how do I, you know, sell myself or, you know, what, what are the conversations that we're having? Um, you know, a lot of times we're talking to folks who own a piece of the process, but it's very rare to have somebody really thinking across all of it. You might have the head of talent or the head of employee experience thinking about it, but everyone else is sort of working in their silos. And so to sort of bring that to the conversation and say, hey, these people over here are doing this work and it's generating these you know, this, these insights or this data, and you're doing X. And if we bring that together, you can be doing more, they can be doing more, and we can all essentially be improving the environment for all Atlassians. Um, and so I think that's kind of the, where it comes together. You know, I think uh, if uh, you're listening, you don't see the big smile on my face <laughs> because I, I I just want to highlight that and ask a question about how you make that happen, because you know, there are those functional leaders, COE leads, uh, whatever you want to say, that are very sometimes protective of their function, the associated technologies, the associated data. So how to create trust mm -hmm. and apply that systematic thinking in real time to assess trade-offs on what one function might do that would affect an, another. Was that a hard sell? Did it ha happen organically? Was that already in place? Can you speak to you know yeah. how you enable this systematic thinking? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I will say like it's it's a constant kind of evolution, right? Like we haven't solved it all for everybody. And we certainly, um, you know, are there's still tons of opportunity, but um, it has happened rather organically as um, we really started with the data foundations and um, ensuring that we are building a sort of integrated data warehouse that allows us to draw the connections. And so um, what when I say sort of organically, we just are seeking out opportunities in projects with our stakeholders to show that connection. So um, let's say, for example, I'm working with our head of talent and we've just run our a major program, whether for performance management process or promotion process or something like that. And we're evaluating the effectiveness of that. Now, a traditional sort of assessment would just look at that process and understand that process. And did it have the impact um, that we expected it to? Um, we do that. And then we look at what are uh, other sort of connections or 
opportunities for data that we can bring in to help round out the story. Um, I actually, I'll just throw this out because um, my boss was having a conversation with another leader um, and he used this analogy and I thought it was, it was a very, very good analogy. He's talking about a particular program that's right now kind of running in a silo. And he said, you know, it's giving me good information, but I feel like I'm looking through a straw. And like, you know, like if you think about that, like here's the world, right? But like what he sees is this little piece of it and that's all that's given to him, right? And so that's what happens when we keep it in a silo. But if we take those processes and even bring, you know, in the, the talent example, if we even bring in the um, some basic stuff like uh, how the promotion process, you know, impacted org shape and what we know about org shape and spans of control and what the impact of that might be on attrition or if they can link it to then the business strategy and say, so while our engineering organization is trying to do X, Y and Z as a result of this process, you know, it has such impact on sort of this part of the business talent strategy, which is bigger than just the promotion process or the performance process. Um, and you start doing that and uh, you bring those insights and the, you know, the, the head of talent or whoever it is, sort of you see some light bulbs going off and they ask more questions and they want to know more information. Oh, what other data do we have? I never thought about it like that. What, you know, what other questions could we answer? Um, and it really starts a conversation and um, kind of just move along that way. Um, May I highlight something there? Because what I'm hearing you say is that you are true partners with your internal customers slash stakeholders, whatever you call them, insofar as that you're not doing the big aha, you're not selling what you're producing, that they are co-creators in what you're producing. Is that a fair Yeah, yeah. We actually have a um, a formal, like a somewhat formal process um, in a lot of our analyses that we just, it's called collaborative analysis. And so what we do is we bring initial findings to the stakeholders um, and sort of, to your point, kind of co-create um, the story and, and understanding. Um, and this is particularly useful when we're looking at um, qualitative data, because what we actually do is we um, bring in the stakeholders into the qualitative data analysis. So they are helping us. They are also maybe reading comments and organizing themes and thinking about the topics that are coming out of this. One, it helps to sort of get their buy-in, bring them along, but also they have unique insights to bring from their own sort of SME standpoint. Um, to help sort of round out the story of what we're hearing. Because, you know, us in the people analytics space, we may read some comments and put them into a particular bucket um, that sounds right to us, but we don't have as much context into the existing processes, the plans, the strategies, what's already being done. And so those SMEs can really co, um, co-analyze, um, yeah, co-create with us. So it's a pretty, um, pretty cool experience. I, I I got I got chills. I get chills a lot. It's a warm day. I don't have no reason to get chills. Uh, but but hey, I'll tell you, collaborative analysis is something that's going to stick yeah. with me. And the fact that you said it's semi-structured, mm-hmm. I assume that people know what that is. Is that they're entering into a way of doing things that has a level level of familiarity 
thus trust and practice. You know, it's not something that they're doing as a yep. one-off. It's, it's a way of doing things. Yeah, yeah. it's built into our plan, our scheduling, our roadmap, et cetera, whenever we're you know, endeavoring on a, we do that mostly the, the qual stuff usually is in like research projects. So when we're doing interviews or, um, uh, any kind of like user testing or anything like that. Well, you know, there are a bunch of themes that yeah. I want to talk about, you know, today, and I want to talk about the CHRO perspective and leaders, and we're touching on that a little bit right yeah. now, but before we go further, I really, uh, was taken by what you shared on the beach the <laughs> other day. Don't hate it. <laughs> um, was, um, work management for all as a North star for you all there at Atlassian. And, you know, I was just like, I, I literally, it's my <laughs> head just went nuts. So can you explain what that is and why it's such a priority to not only what you're doing in, in the people on this discipline, but as an organization? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so the way that we're thinking about work management for all is that, you know, we have, it was actually, I was, I was watching one of a, a keynote recently about um, some some recent releases of some products that um, we have in this space. Um, but it is you, you think about how we have all of these apps for our life, right? And um, you have the App Store, and uh, you know the, I think the, the, there's the Apple coined the term. There's an app for that. Um, so now in the workplace, um, that's becoming true as well. There's an app for everything. Um, I jotted down a, a stat that um, if you're an organization over 2,000 people, um, on average, there are 187 apps that you engage with or that your company has sort of in their portfolio of apps that they are using to help the organization get work done. And so when, when they think about work management for all, it really is how do you manage all of the work that's happening across the organization, across teams, across individuals, and how do you bring all of that work together into a single platform or source of truth to allow for visibility into the work that's happening, to allow for collaboration into the work that's happening, and to just allow for um, better collaboration as uh, all of these projects are spinning up. And so, um, not to turn this into a pitch for Atlassian, but um, we just released a product called Atlas that really aims to do this and really connects all of these apps together to provide uh, sort of an integrated environment where individuals and teams of any kind of teams, not just functional teams, but we're talking, you know, and Atlassian is all about teams. Our mission is to unleash the potential of every team. And so we take this concept of teams very seriously and it is one of the most like hotly debated topics within our organization on a regular basis. Uh, what is a team? How do you define a team? What team are you on? Uh, what does it mean to be on multiple teams? Do you have a primary team, et cetera? I mean, we can go on, we can have a podcast about teams. Um, but uh, ultimately what it comes down to is that teams are fluid and teams are forming and um, all the time. And they're, you know, they're, what's the word, uh, whatever they're separating, can't think of the word, but um, essentially they're assembling and disassembling all the time. And so um, this space gives you an opportunity to um, highlight those teams, the work the teams are doing, 
Um, and, and, you know, because Atlassian is sort of open by default, open company, no BS is our, one of our values. Um, we, uh, we basically have this platform with Atlas that allows for pure visibility across the organization. I can go see what our engineering team is working on. I can see what our product team is working on, et cetera. And then the, the opportunity there from a people analytics standpoint is huge. All of a sudden we have data on all of the work happening in the organization, who's working with who, how they are working, um, what they're working on. And then as we think about overlaying um, other sort of product data, we're looking at, we have Slack interactions we have, and we're not doing this yet, but this is sort of the vision um, at, because Atlas has just kind of rolled out, but um, we've got Jira interactions. People are collaborating in Jira. We have Confluence, which um, at Atlassian is like our core collaboration tool. So we don't use email. We have Slack for sort of quick back and forth, but if you want to brainstorm on a topic or you want to, um, you know, create sort of a shared document um, that you're going to bring to, you know, your executive team, um, you go into Confluence, you can co-edit within Confluence um, and you can essentially sort of uh, in real time or async essentially develop um, the content you need for the work that you're doing. Um, all of that is interactions, right? All of that is um, who's working with who, how often are they connecting, how much time are they spending together, and then what is that ultimately producing and what's the impact of that? And so as we think about work management for all and the growth of that space, it's really taking, you know, how engineering teams and development teams have worked together for so long um, through sort of the agile manifesto and the sort of the ways these software teams work is so um what's the word like it's so collaborative and so connected and um they just have they have rhythms they have rituals they have ways of working that they define like very clearly and those types of activities are not really used well outside of those software teams and so it's really about how do we bring that rigor of teamwork of collaboration and all of that into the rest of the organization and that's that sort of going from like technical work to just everybody work. So that's why we call it work management for all, right? Everybody's doing work. It's not just the technical teams um, and sort of bringing that ethos into, um, you know, HR and finance, et cetera. So I got another chill. So that's two chills. You might, you might break my <laughs> chill record. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, there's so, so much to highlight there and, what I want to focus on is this, because if I'm listening, I'm going, okay, right. that's cool. Um, but I'm not a tech company and my team might be yeah. you know, different. I don't want to go there yet. Um, yeah, we, sure. we can come back to that. But what I, what I want to highlight and ask you about, and if anyone has heard me speak or listen to this podcast for any period of time, you've heard me say this before, it's that a Chinese mm. proverb, the beginning of wisdom is calling things by their right names. And what I heard you say is that you're spending time actually defining what a team yeah. is. And, you know, we can talk about defining people analytics, workforce planning, all that stuff. But what I really want to focus on in our conversation today is the fact that, in my view, 
as a discipline, not only in people analytics, but organizationally, we have not defined the work mm. very well. In some cases, very yeah. poorly. And increasingly, we have the data thus ability to define the work better. So when we talk about workforce planning, when we talk about uh, you know hiring, talent acquisition, when we talk about org design, all these things, how good are we at defining the work in the first place and then consciously allocating that work to who's best suited to get it done at that point in time? And whether it be an employee, contractor, yeah outsource provider, robotic automation, AI, all these ways in which work can get done, but that's all predicated on defining the work. So with that as the stage, I mean, how are you looking at work? And is that something that you're uh, working on uh, defining the work itself so you can make these conscious decisions? Interesting question. Yeah, that's a um, for myself personally and our team. Um, it is also kind of an always evolving challenge. Um, what we what we do today in terms of defining the work and making sure that kind of, I think we talked too about like priorities and things like that and making sure we're working on the right things and making sure it's clear that we know what we're working on, um, other people sort of understand as well. Um, is one, we, uh, and I don't know if this is gonna answer the question, but we'll see. Um, we sort of, uh, we start with kind of the broader strategy. So what are we trying to accomplish as an organization and not just from an HR lens, but, you know, from a business lens, um, who is trying to get this work done? What are the functions and teams that are most important to getting this work done? Um, and then from there, kind of stepping back into how can we contribute to these goals, challenges, sort of business problems as a team. Um, and we do at times start with skill set. So we'll do two things. One is here are all the projects that we could do, but it's also here's who we have on the team to do it. And so there needs to be alignment there. So we're not going to try to do something we don't have the necessary resources for. Um, though, if it is absolutely critical, we can certainly um, bring a proposal to the leadership team to um, get resourcing if necessary. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to then getting clear on the goals of the organization, what they're trying to accomplish, what we know and what we can do. If we're thinking about workforce planning or something like that, right? Um, a lot of these terms have a lot of, uh, we talk about just like, they have a lot of baggage, um, you know? So like everyone has some definition in their head about what it is. And um, so that's an exercise too in and of itself is defining, okay, so we are going to do this thing that we're calling workforce planning. What, is, what does that mean? How do we define that, right? And so actually in our, um, sort of project layout, if you will. We have a template that's used across the organization. We call it a project poster. Um, and this, um, this project poster, so this is just another sort of plug, but like Atlassian has something we call the Atlassian playbook. And it is literally this playbook for getting work done within a team. 
Um, and it's public. So you go to like Atlassian.com forward slash team playbook, something like that. Um, and it has these plays that you can run to help you define the work, to help you um, get past roadblocks, to help you make decisions when you're at an impasse, to um, kind of help team formation, et cetera. And so in this project poster, we essentially go through this ritual of defining the problem. What do we know about that problem today? You know, what don't we know and still need to gather? Um, what does success look like? How do we define success? And we work on that project poster with our stakeholders. So that helps us to your point around clarifying the work and getting clear on what it is we're actually going to be doing. We kind of go through this process as the first step of any project, sort of get that by. And then we have a kickoff meeting where we get everyone together. And we also in that process, this is something that is unique, I think, for me, it's unique to Atlassian. I was blown away when I first joined Atlassian that this is the way that they work. But um, I joined and in true Atlassian fashion on my second day, I was handed our engagement survey, which actually wasn't originally in scope for my job. I was going to be focused on metrics, analytics, you know, data, et cetera. Um, employee surveying, I have lots of history with. I was running the survey at, at AAA, but that wasn't technically in scope. So on the second day, I'm handed the employee survey. It's been passed around HR. Nobody really owns it. You know, we're still a relatively small company. Um, and they're like, can you take this over? And by the way, it launches in four weeks. I'm like, <laughs> and so, you know, I came from a slower organization, insurance. My history was in banking and healthcare and all of that stuff. So like to run an an employee engagement survey, you got like a three month lead time. You've got to prepare comms and get all the data structures right and all these things. It's evolved quite a bit since then. This was six years ago. But, um, and I said, okay, um, ha just me. And my boss at the time said, no, who do you need? What kind of people do you need on your team to make this successful? And I was like, well, I'll probably need some project management support. I need some comms support. Um, I'm still learning the data. Do we have anyone who knows the data, et cetera? And it was like, put these names on this page, ping them, tell them you need their support in this project. Here's what you're doing. And within a week, we had a project team spun up across the people team um, and we were running and, and we delivered and it became sort of, you know, one of the one of my proudest sort of products at, at the organization in the first uh, three or four years. Um, but that's still how we work. So it's sort of who do you need? What do you need today to get this work done? Um, what skill sets, et cetera? Reach out to leaders, essentially say, here's what we're doing. Here's what we need. Is there anyone on your team who might have some capacity? And really opening up the organization. And it's really that true cross-functional collaboration. Um, and so that's part of kind of spinning up that work, getting that project going, and essentially um, gaining clarity on what it is that we're trying to solve before we do anything else. Yeah, I, I, I love it. And thank you for sharing because you know the work, you know, the nature of the work, like yeah. you grew up with the work. So you would have a very clear understanding of what's required. So you could detail it and thus you could find resources internally if they weren't available. I imagine if there was budget, you could yeah. go, you know, external. It's a great example. Uh, then it invites the question, you know, let's say in that scenario, there's a technology disruption, something can be automated. And one of those individuals can 
as much as I hate to say it out loud, be replaced by a automated solution? And then how does that affect the math and prioritization? And so I'm just, yeah, yeah, before yeah. I let you respond, I just want to highlight that, you know, most organizations and industries, uh, particularly with COVID, have gone through these massive yeah, disruptions. Yeah. And you talk about digital transformation, um, you know, there's been workforce disruptions and, you know, all of this is affecting prioritization, thus the work and thus how the work, you know, can get done. So I love, you know, where you're going yeah. with this. And so I just want to land this because we could talk about this yeah, yeah, yeah. all day uh, because, yeah. it, it, but it is something that as I, throwing my own bias, think about the future yeah. of work and the future yeah. of people analytics and workforce planning, I see us getting to this level of detail about, okay, this is the work and right. then how do we do it? Because, and this is yeah. where I wanted to segue to, and you and I've talked about this, is that there's a lot of attention to skills, yeah. which you just highlighted. <clears throat> okay, do we have the people, yeah. the capability? However, people are all constrained yeah. by time. So we have a capacity constraint and time is fixed for us, mm -hmm. given our perception, um, but it is variable in so far as that we all have certain demands being placed us, on us, whether it be a child at home, like I know you and yeah. your wife have, uh, children, or yeah. child, children, <laughs> <laughs> child, is that a word? Um, <laughs> or, you know, elder care or, or what have you. So my pointed question is how are you looking at that, you know, capacity constraints and how does that affect your workforce planning or team formation and the allocation? Of That's work? a great question. I think um, right now, yeah, automation is a big topic for sure. Um, and the way that we are thinking about that component and um, the how the work is going to evolve is that we want to essentially automate um, what well, we want to automate as much as we can to free up our employees capacity to think, to give them time to be strategic, to give them time to uh, do more value add work that can really move the needle on whatever direction we're going on. And so that's one component is where automation isn't replacing people, but it's, it is replacing to your, I think maybe not quite skills, but it's replacing tasks. It's replacing activities that take too much time and ultimately um, are not as value add as um, let's say, you know, things that are uniquely human. Um, and maybe that will start to change too, right? As AI improves and um, we we get more advanced with machine learning and, and all of that. But um, at the moment, the real focus is on um, removing tasks so people have more time to think and to do better work. So, you know, we hire amazing people. That's an assumption we make from, from the beginning. If you are at Atlassian, you are smart, you are creative, uh, you're values driven. And so we want you to do your best work and you can't do your best work if you're doing things that can be automated. It's sort of the assumption. 
Um, and so uh, in terms of growth and workforce planning, um, interestingly for us, we're not necessarily thinking about kind of fewer people because we can automate. Um, we're fortunate enough to be in a position where um, we're scaling you know, dramatically and continuing to add headcount. And so when we think about workforce planning, uh, we're thinking about that strategic value and where do we need to be putting people who can help us ultimately realize that that vision. Um, and so the the product evolution um, is a big component of that. How do we continue to um, innovate in the product space and how do we continue to create like evolve our current products and create new products that help teams work together more effectively. And so um, if our money can be used to bring in the best talent to innovate, create, and put the, you know, every bit of energy that's available in their minds to the big problems, then the that's a better use of those funds for sure. Yeah. I, again, I, I, I love it. And, you know, I, I will say that historically the allocation of work has been at the mm. manager level. Um, however, a leadership team can create systems and processes that create the basis for the wise mm. allocation of work is that a fair statement is that what you're trying to enable the 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 wise distribution and allocation of work at scale it's certainly i will say we are in that evolution right now because um we've grown relatively fast and we're going to continue to and um i would say we are still putting too much on our managers <laughs> like you know they they are especially in covid times and um and even as we move into just more pure kind of hybrid work um, the demands are increasing. And so some of the things that we're looking at, if we think about just even from our product space, um, we have tools that allow for a lot of asynchronous work. And so you don't need, there's, there's not an expectation that you're on late calls with people on the other side of the world, right? That can be recorded. We can put documentation into Confluence. You can provide updates into JIRA. And then when your manager gets online, they can just read that, ask questions within those tools and get feedback whenever you come online. And so um, that certainly helps with that workload. The bigger issue right now, I would say, is more of like the change management and the behavior change that needs to happen um, with that because FaceTime is still important. And um, that connection you get with individuals when you are engaging. Um, what we talk about now is more of that like intentional togetherness is what we call it um, to sort of feed that. Um, and so um, to sort of relieve the um, more administrative aspects for the manager, it certainly comes down to those sort of productivity tools, if you want to you know, call them that. Um, or the work management tools. Um, so I think that that, you know, is directionally what we're working towards. Well, I, Blaine, there's so much that 
I would like to continue not only to discuss, but uh, to acknowledge your uh, ruthless prioritization yeah, yeah. that we talked about um, but before. Uh, I want to cover a yeah. couple few more topics before uh, we wrap. And so we got probably 10 minutes or so, but I want to go back yeah. to the CHRO um, leadership team um, and take you out of Atlassian for a minute. Although if you want to reference your experience there, uh, by all means, but it's this is that most leaders inside and outside of HR have not grown up with people analytics. Um, they might say they did, uh, but what is possible today wasn't possible 12, 18 months ago. And certainly the evolution over the last 20 years has I don't know if you'll agree with this. Yeah. It's yeah. damn near been exponential. Um, so, you know, we've crawled a little bit. We've started yeah. walking. And now, at least from my vantage point, we're we're yeah. running pretty fast. And so how to stay up to date and aware of what's possible? You know, we have talent intelligence technology that are looking at talent market data. We obviously are able to do more across the employee experience, look into our recruiting activities and be more efficient and effective there. So my question is, if I am a CHRO or someone who's commissioning this work, what would you say that they need to consider to build a sustainable capability. And I'll just tee it up one, yeah. with one more little anecdote. I've seen too often, because there's a gross undersupply of talent yeah. in the people analytics space, that I'm just going to take somebody from yeah. IT or finance or hire a data scientist or IO psychologist and say, okay, you come yeah. in and yeah, do your yeah. magic. Good luck. Um, but they're under-resourced. They're underappreciated. They don't have the relationship yeah. equity. So with that as the staging, how would you coach ACHRO to, again, build a sustainable capability in this area? I think that there are a couple paths um, to take. One, ultimately, I would say in order to build the sustainable program, um, you need it's it's simple. Well, I think everyone says it, but um, you do need to start with the data, um, and so uh, data foundations are really the building blocks to unleashing all of the potential. So you can either do that through partnering internally with, say, if you have a data team, product data, you know, um, business data, something like that. Um, they, they know how to combine data sets. They know how to, now they don't have the HR sort of SME expertise, which is also extremely critical. So in theory, you also, I guess I'll make a lot of assumptions about the <laughs> current state of the CHRO and the organization, but they probably have an HRIS and they probably have some tech support or admin for that HRIS. Um, so that person needs to be heavily involved. Um, they are not the person to do the data foundation work, but they're the person to sort of consult and inform on how are things structured? Why are things named certain ways? Where can I find X? Um, but that data foundation then sets the stage for sort of the future growth of the organization um, for the people analytics program. Um, and then I would say start small. So um, I've learned through failures and experience um, that because this is new for a lot of organizations, it's new for a lot of leaders, 
um, starting with the basics uh, are really important. We're kind of, you know, we're doing things like that even today with new leaders and with new programs of work is sort of starting with the foundations and starting with the basics. So, you know, your head count, your attrition, your, um, you know, makeup of the organization and just have people starting to sort of consume that, even if it's in reports or, you know, in a document or something. Um, it's about kind of building over time that awareness and understanding of what the data is. So then when you do want to start doing something more advanced, you want to start doing some statistics or combining data, um, people have that foundational understanding of the components that are going into those more advanced visualizations or analyses, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I would say, you know, starting with the data foundations and, and again, yeah, so internally or externally, there are platforms that can help you do it. There are um, teams within your company who might be able to help. And um, yeah, and then starting small, but also starting with the business. Um, I think that's also something I've learned over time is um, your business leaders are going to be your biggest fans if you bring them along in the journey early and you have them as part of the process because they care as much as you do about their people and about their teams. They want their organization to succeed. You know, they're, they're not just focused on building X, right? Like they know that it won't happen if they don't have the right people in there and if they don't have good, strong, high-performing talent. And so I think, um, you know, that would be the beginning from my perspective. And just to play that back, yeah, it, it sounds like if you're going to hire somebody to do that uh, or elevate somebody internally, going back to what you shared earlier, they have to understand the work and they have to understand the means, the options in which that work yeah. can get done. Because as you mentioned before, it's not only collaborating with your you know, key internal customers or stakeholders. It's identifying the solutions that are going to meet those priorities at scale, at yeah. speed, you know, over time. And so being an educated shopper, I, I guess I'm, I, I don't want to yeah. put words in your mouth, but I, it, would you advocate for that as well as, you know, being a wise decision maker in terms of what technologies uh, and solutions and partners that you take on? Yeah. 100%. And I would say, you know, just not to um, sort of go on about it, but bring the business along with you. So, you know, maybe start with key stakeholders, but definitely um, don't make those decisions in a silo because mm -hmm. um, they will be your customers, they will be your users, and they will be as invested as you are. So, And I'm going to you can you know, slap me on the wrist or <laughs> I, I can owe you a beer. Uh, it's yeah. uh, we have to understand our CHROs and the like have to understand that this doesn't come for free since you spent, you know, a million plus implementation of X doesn't all of a sudden yeah. mean that you have analytics and workforce planning in place that, you know, right. this, there is a check that has to be written and that check, you know, if you want additional insights, you know, you're gonna have to write it. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. And I think that, yeah, what you're alluding to, too, maybe, and what I would say is, you, to your point, you can't just buy a system and solve the problem. Um, you need, you do need people who can help deliver that. 
bring that to the business or to your HR teams to understand it, to dissect it, to basically analyze it in the context of the problems they're trying to solve. And to your point about the work, um, understanding that um, the impact that that has on the work that individuals are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And so, you know, those we call them analytics business partners, whatever you want to call them, but you need people to help you interpret, understand, and take action on the information coming out of those systems. Cause it's not going to solve, you know, it's like a, an AI system that spits out a recommendation. Like you can't just take that and go solve all your problems. You've got to understand it. You have to be able to take it into context and all of that. So, yeah. Well, yeah. th thank you for saying that. Thank you for sharing. And uh, as we start to wrap, I have one more question. Uh, as we look to the future and our ability to do so much, you know, with the data, yeah. you know, what are your hopes or concerns, you know, about particularly the next, you know, 12, 24 months? You know, what do you see happening or where do you go? Like, oh, my gosh. You know, I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. You said, you said future, I'm like 10 years out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, a lot can change in even 12 to 24 months. Um, so I would say, you know, something for me that I'm, I'm really excited about is bringing, um, making, making all of this data consumable for the employees. I think we do put too much on our leaders. We put too much on our managers to solve all of the problems within the organization. Um, individuals are committed, are focused, are, um, you know, they want to do their best work. And I think, you know, the opportunity we have in front of us is giving them the insights and the data that they need to be successful on a day-to-day -day basis, not data to their manager to tell them how to be successful, <laughs> but actually enabling the individual to sort of, you know, own their career, own their future, et cetera. Um, I think that's directionally a, a key area I want to focus on. And I think is going to be really exciting as we start to combine all of this workforce data with all of our tooling. You know, it's something uh, we're in a unique position in, at Atlassian to bring this data into the products and tools you use on a daily basis just to get your work done. Um, Three chills, Blaine. Three <laughs> chills. <Third> chill. <laughs> um, and then fears. Um, you know, I think that. Well, one one fear is that um, people analytics teams um, continue to spin on projects that aren't having an impact and that, you know, my fear is that a lot of groups are still um, working towards really delivering that value that people analytics can deliver. And it's hard and we're still learning. Um, but that's one thing, like there is so much potential, but it's complicated. Like it's not easy. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to see a lot of sort of growth in this space, because there is all of that potential. Um, you know, I was going to say something around kind of like AI and ML and all of that stuff and data privacy. And um, I have a feeling like, we're, I feel like we're figuring that out. 
And I have a feeling that that's not, you know, as scary as it looked like it was going to be two years ago. Um, and so, you know, that that's something that I'm, you know, excited about um, and sort of opening the conversation with employees about, you know, owning their data and making decisions for themselves, et cetera. So, um, yeah, that's just an addition to the. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for bringing that up. And I uh, have to say that I agree. Um, yeah. I I am uh, I'm hopeful in that regard. And, you know, the legislation is catching up a little bit. Um, I like that Europe is taking the lead personally. Um, But yeah, before we go into that, which would be a whole nother podcast, (laughs) we we will wrap. So as we do that, um, how can people learn more about you and what you're doing there at Atlassian? Uh, Yeah, just connect on LinkedIn. Um, I'd love to sort of learn more about what everyone's up to. And so Blaine Ames at uh, at LinkedIn, I don't know my actual address, but yeah, pretty easy to find, I think. (laughs) We'll we'll put it in the comments and uh, yeah. Hey, thanks for sharing and look forward to uh, not only talking soon, but see you you and your family on the beach before too long. All right. right. Be well. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening today. If you want to learn more about today's guests, go to pafal.net. You'll be able to see links to the bio as well as to the video of today's program. You'll also have the chance to support this podcast and other shows that we do by becoming a Pafal community member. You can also donate if you choose. What will be helpful to support Pafal, the People Data for Good Movement, and me will be to share this episode with friends and coworkers and others who might find it valuable. Finally, for updates on upcoming episodes, shows, and events, please subscribe to our newsletter at pafal.net. At the bottom, you can also see our social media presence. So please subscribe to our company page on LinkedIn, follow us on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. We're active as can be, and we want to provide this content to you that is timely, relevant, and actionable. So again, thank you for listening today and hope to see you soon. I also want to give a shout out to Jenna Dern, Malaz El-Sheikh, and Sarah Sparnan, who without them, this show would not happen. And now go out and make some great things happen.